Across the Gun Counter, guys. I'm your host, Joe Reba, joined by my co-host, Tyler Weaver. Alrighty, and we are here this week. We're here to talk about Project Guns. But before we get into it, Tyler, what's uh, what's been new that's uh, been floating around the shop this week for you? Oh, one thing that kind of surprised me, I had a Cooper Rifle, or Cooper Firearms Model 54, which it's very similar to a Remington 700, if you just looked at a Remington 700 and built one. <laughs> okay. Because none, none of the tooling fits. And I, I mean none of it. So it was one of those things where it's like you take the job on and then you start getting into the weeds and you're like, yeah, this is going to cost a lot more <laughs> than I thought it would on my end. Something that was a little bit, you thought you were going to be able to do pretty easily and then turned out to be like, oh, crap, this is going to be about three to four times the work. Yeah, man. It's just, it's little things like, uh, okay, they're a tri-lug. So okay. now I need a tri-lug action wrench that'll go through the receiver to break the barrel loose off of it, you know, so I can even start. So oh, wow. before I could even do anything with the gun, I had to make up my own uh, tri-lug tool so I can break it apart. Because, I mean, I could buy one for like $85, $95, or I could just take the time, whip one up quick. So... It ended up working. I got it apart. When I went to do the barrel threading, it's not a standard barrel shank like a Remington 700, which is one inch, one sixteenth by 16 threads per inch. They knock off a sixteenth of an inch, so it's only one inch, 16 threads per inch. Hmm. Yeah, so even like I have a little lug lapping tool and all that for like 700s and that doesn't fit. So it's like, all right, I'd have to make up one of those. And uh, even the recoil lug is not the same shape as your standard Remington 700. So the recoil lug tools that I have for aligning it when you go to crank the barrel back on wouldn't work. Jeez. So Mm -hmm. is this compatible with the Remington 700 at all, like in terms of stocks or triggers or anything like that? As far as stocks, you might be okay. Okay. Triggers, I don't think so. It To me, it looks uh, more like like a Tika-style trigger. Okay. Yeah, where it, it doesn't have the two pins that go through the side. It more or less has screws that go up from underneath. Okay. See, I like Tikas, so I can't really complain there. But if it yeah, looks like a Remington 700, but it's not a Remington 700, what's the benefit of going with this over a Remington 700? Um, I mean, you definitely have the tri-lug, which is nice because it distributes the recoil against three lugs rather than two. You get a shorter bolt throw on it. But overall, I mean, as far as quality goes, it's probably a better made action. And I say probably because I really haven't gotten into it too much. Okay. So just from my experience, it, it looks pretty well made. Yeah, this is my first one that I've had in the shop. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not really too familiar with them. So yeah, definitely if you can send me pictures, I'll have to take a look mm-hmm. at them. But I mean, all that, I mean, it makes sense though if you can make those tools and then potentially use them down the road, why spend the money on those those tools i think oh yeah absolutely and i mean i got a little creative with it so for the actual part that goes into the receiver to like fit in those tri lugs and break it loose uh, i ended up using a cutoff polish tunnel barrel okay so if anybody's familiar with that it's kind of like the polish ak-74 so right where the uh, chamber section is it was big enough where i could mill in those three lugs and uh what i ended up doing was using the chamber and boring that out a little bit, and I took a uh, half-inch extension for, like, a socket set. Mm-hmm. I ended up 
lopping off the square end, turning that down so it was a press fit, going over to my press and pressing it on, and then I welded it in just for, you know, for good measure. No, nice. See, yep, so that's that's something cool, and I think we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the episode I want to touch on, is you used an, a part from an old gun or an old firearm that's basically not being used anymore, and you repurposed it. And that's yeah, something absolutely. We're, and that's something we're going to get into a little bit later because you know exactly what I'm talking about with that. Yeah, and especially being a gunsmith, I know what's good steel to keep around and what you know what's junk. You know, hammer forged barrel steel is definitely good for tough oh, use stuff. Oh yeah, there's a reason why the the American AK community is very picky on what kind of trunnion is in their AK. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, yeah, it's. You know the cast cast trunnion. No, I always. It's funny because I always want to say cast iron and it's cast steel. Obviously, oh, if it was cast, but iron, it, it, junk. But, but it's it's always so much funnier when you think cast iron. Like imagine a cast iron trunnion on an AK. Yeah, it would just shatter. Oh, absolutely. But it's just it's a funny concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, funny. So it's how funny. about you, man? What what have you had come into the shop? Anything interesting? You know, it's funny actually because I was talking about um, you know hammer forged AKs, you know, trunnions and stuff like that. In terms of used stuff, nothing nothing of note, but we've actually had a a decent number of the new Sentry Arms AKs come in, like the yep. the various models. And of course, I mean, you know, you could you know, everyone can criticize Sentry all they want, but I'll say this with the recent batch of stuff that we got, they're nice. They're not, yeah. you know, I mean, they're, they are what they are. They're a little bit rougher, of course. You know, you have to oil them and stuff like that. And, you know, you have they're to. They're going to take time to wear in. Yeah, of course. Because they, they have like that, Um, it's more of a, I want to say like a phosphate kind of finish. Not mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm talking about? Like a phosphate parkerized kind of yeah. finish rather than like a bluing or. Yeah, like a bead blast it and like glass bead it and blued. Yeah, kind of. It's, yeah, it's so it's it's a much rougher rougher material so i'm curious to see how they last long term but to be honest with you i they look pretty nice to me and i think that's you know they've come a long way from what they were years ago you know everyone always says like oh you know wasser tens used to be 350 dollars. now people want a thousand dollars for them and it's like Mm -hmm. well yeah to be fair also when they were 350 dollars, people also considered them junk you know what i mean exactly nobody wanted them Exactly, and the sites were always canted. the The rivers were always garbage. There was just nothing. I mean, what what were some other complaints about the Wasser tens back in the day? I think you had a little more. You might have had a little more experience. One thing that sticks out to me was trigger slap. I heard they had a lot of trigger slap issues with those, but I didn't experience that firsthand. I think I've only shot maybe one Wasser ten. Okay. See, I had one years ago. It was actually my first AK, and I really the don't... New Jersey legal one? Yeah, it actually was. But see, the thing was, New Jersey legal one for that really wasn't too bad. There was just no bayonet lug. I had the muzzle brake on it, the, mm-hmm. that little... And that was just kind of on there. I Yeah, that was that was just it. And uh, 10 round magazine, which that was the biggest... I was going to say, it wasn't single stack, right? So, if in hindsight, if, you know, if I was to go back and actually play with the AK, I could actually tell you from what I know now. <laughs> it might have yeah. initially... I think it was one of those single stacks that were widened to take okay. the to take the double stack because I had actually bought a Tapco ten round magazine and it didn't. Fit. Oh yeah, and Tapco never made a ten or uh, a single stack mag. Yeah, no, so that I know of. Yeah, so when you would 
when you would go to rock the magazine in, it would kind of bottom out, or like uh, it would actually get stuck on the rear lips of the AK mag. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to file those down. Oh, actually... doing some gunsmithing. Yeah, that was a yeah some pre yeah some early early Joey gunsmithing I guess was getting a ten round magazine <laughs> to fit into an AK so it wasn't a single shot AK. But yep. alas, I got the magazine working and I got it fitted in. The the problem was it was so tight in there. Like to, you actually had to like almost hold the AK into you and actually mm-hmm. kind of rock it out. Like you I actually kind of force it out. It was a real it was a real pain, but it was a lot of fun <laughs> to shoot. Now, whether it had that trigger slap like you mentioned, I really don't remember. I think it actually had a Tapco G2 trigger. That was something I remember okay. the guy yep. who uh bought it from me ended up, you know, mentioning well, mm-hmm. I traded it for another firearm, but he, he, I remember he said, oh, it's got a Tapco G2 trigger in it. And he goes, well, that's good. I said, oh. Yeah, and you're like, ooh, sounds good, exactly. I guess. Yeah, because I had <laughs> no idea about any of those parts in the day. I was just like, yeah, it's an AK. Tapco, I've heard of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, We've yeah. all done that. Yeah, and nowadays it's like, now I know. I mean, Tapco, the G2 triggers were pretty good, but nowadays you see hear Tapco and you just think, no, Tapco, no. Yup, yup. Alrighty, man, let's get into it today. What are we talking about? Yeah, so like we mentioned earlier, or as I say, as we mentioned in the intro, was the project guns is going to be this week's topic. All right, so let's define a project gun, shall we? <laughs> so, so we define a project gun. So I guess a project gun can fall into a couple different categories. You can have something like a, a parts kit build. You could have something like a refinishing, like a refinishing project. You could even have something mm-hmm. as a restoration project, something like that too. Not even just refinishing or rebluing, like literally just restoring the whole firearm. Yep. Oh. I get quite a few of those into the shop. I say you get quite a lot of those. So, I mean, would, would there be any other kind of gun projects you would think of? Mm. Not off the top of my head. But I think one thing we should touch on is like, what makes a good project gun? You know? Ooh. So, like. I like that. What makes me, a good project gun? Because I always. I, I talk to a lot of customers about stuff, and it's like, hey, I want to build this. Okay, can you get parts for that? What's the parts availability? That's like, a big thing. Yeah, parts cool. Availability. There's, uh, what is it, Malaysian AUG kits for like 100, 100 something? 150, maybe. something like that. 150, yeah. It's like, cool, you can get the parts kit. You cannot get anything else. There's nobody making like U.S.-made receivers yeah. for those kits or barrels anything like that yeah no one has a receiver i think you might be able to get barrels or you might be able to machine a barrel or use a barrel from a lathe or something but i was actually also you have to look into 922r compliance that's true as well which ooh, that's something else we're gonna we're gonna have to get into shortly here is 922 the dreaded 922r compliance i should say yeah absolutely because if you're building a gun from a a parts if you're building a foreign made gun from a parts kit you have to take 922R into consideration here in the United States. Yeah, that's a, a law we have to follow. Both individuals So what is 922R? So 922R is basically a law that says any foreign-made firearm or any firearm that uh, it was in the United States after the date of the ban, I, I want to say it was the 89 assault ban, or assault import ban. I I could be wrong here, but I believe ba- so. I think it it ties in hand in hand with that one. Yeah, and basically, it basically states that after that time, any firearm made 
has to have no more than 10 foreign-made parts on it. So that could be, like, when you have a parts kit, it could be the receiver, it could be the barrel. You could have two or three different components, which I th- guess we should get into what is a parts kit in a second. But basically, 922R compliancy, any firearms, whether you're an importer or an individual, you have to have no more than 10 foreign-made parts on that. And that's why certain companies, like Zestava, when they do their AKs and stuff, they bring mm-hmm. the AKs in and they they switch out the handguards, the, the front, basically everything that's not going to affect the functionality of the rifle. And they swap out over here in the States because they want to keep that as true to the original firearm as possible. And yep. so you yeah, that's as, why most of the time you'll just see the furniture swapped out. Exactly. And if that's the easiest thing to do and not affect, again, the overall functionality of the rifle, do it. That's another mm-hmm. thing is because when you bring something into the United States and let's say you're swapping out the triggers, guess what? That's another piece of labor you're doing that's more time for someone else to take out that trigger, something else to go wrong with it, another pin to go wrong. Or again, you're just, you're doing more work than you need to do. Yeah, especially it's easier to work on the outside of the gun. So furniture, muzzle brake, flash hider, whatever you want to call it, you know, stuff of that nature that fits the bill. Exactly. And a lot of them will come with a U.S. made magazine. And sometimes they'll even have like a note inside that's saying this gun is only compliant with a U.S. made magazine. You know, it's funny, actually, speaking of Wasser 10s earlier, I saw one Wasser 10 that actually came with a little tag that said that is, you know, this this rifle has to be used with U.S. made magazines only. Yep. Yeah, because the magazine itself counts as three compliance parts because you have the magazine body, the follower, and the floor plate, actually. Yep. So how that makes sense, I don't know. I don't write laws. Again, well, gun laws don't make sense. Yeah. But. Yes, and it's funny because, like, uh, if you take the Yugo SKS, or mm-hmm. actually, I think any of the SK- SKSs, SKSEs. I don't yeah, know. the SKSEs, <laughs> the SKSI. <laughs> Yeah, the SKSs, uh, like the Yugo SKS, as it's imported, it's completely uh, Yugoslavian. Nothing has to be swapped out. Now, say you take out the, uh, what is it, like the box magazine and go with some sort of like detachable style duck bill or whatever. Now, everything has to get changed to be 922R compliant. Yeah, and if that's if you add up the certain components, it's because I, I forget what the reason is. There's, well, I believe it's grandfathered in. Well, no, the the SKS is they're they're fine as it is coming in, but when you add the Duckbill magazine, I think most of the Duckbill magazines are actually U.S. made. Yeah, but there's I believe there's something with 922R compliance with the SKS that as soon as you switch out hmm. one part, now you have to switch out you know, the certain number of parts. I forget exactly how that works, but I believe I read something on that. Huh. But, yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. We'll have to look into that more and uh, come back to that when we do our 922R compliance episode. Yeah, we're <laughs> just, yeah, we're just, yeah, because we can, we can dive down that rabbit hole. But I oh, guess, yeah. I guess the next thing is, we after 922R compliance and all that good stuff is, you know, talk about parts kit and, you know, different definitions of parts kits, because I think parts kits come in all shapes and sizes, wouldn't you say, Tyler? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I just sent you a link. Uh, FN, what is it? FN America? Yep. Already. Instagram. Yep. Already, yep. Uh, already signed up. Already got in there. Yeah. They have a sweepstakes for uh, FN, uh, FAL parts kit. So, yeah. So, a parts kit. 
Now, I I kind of defined a, you know, I was thinking about this before we recorded this, you know, how would I define a gun parts kit? And I think a gun parts kit encompasses a wide variety of things, but I think you could basically sum it up as in a gun parts kit is basically a culmination of, uh, you know, gun parts that may be missing some components like the receiver or barrel, or they may have some. Uh, some of the kits may require demilling, which is another process, which is basically removing, removing excess parts, which aren't needed in the initial, you know, in the final build or basically breaking mm-hmm. them, those components down to the bare bones, the bare essential components, like in an AK, breaking it down to the trunnions. And then there's other kits, which are, you know, they're basically Legos. They just kind of go together like AR-15s and AR-10s. Yeah. I'm not you get all the parts, that. they're all nice and clean, and you just put them together. Yeah, and it's, you can honestly, you can do it on your kitchen counter, and some people make fun of that, and I think that's actually pretty damn cool. Hey, I don't want to hear it. I built an MG42 on my kitchen counter. Did you really? <laughs> that's awesome. For the most part, besides the welding. That's cool. See? <laughs> See, so people, if you can do an AR-15, or I don't want to say if you can do an AR-15, you can do an MG-42 on your kitchen counter, but if you can do an MG-42 on your kitchen counter, you can sure <laughs> as hell do an AR-15 on your kitchen counter. And that's why I opened a business. <laughs> well, I, I heard someone say you could do that with the AK with the rivets, because if you take the hand rivet, that rivet jaw like I have, but mm-hmm. I really wouldn't trust that. No, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of those. No, not at all. I guess, I mean, if you could in desperate times, call for desperate measures, but if you can yep. use a press. You know what? That's another thing that we should put with uh, what makes a good project gun. Mm-hmm. Level of difficulty. <laughs> yeah, level of difficulty. That's something I didn't even think of initially. Yeah, because, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people will get in over their head with parts kit builds. You know, they buy it. Oh, it's a good deal. I can get this parts kit. And then they really look at what they have and go, I can't do this. You know, oh, that, yeah. That's... <laughs> and that's when they reach out to me and have me build their kit. Oh, but, yeah. Right you know, there I mean, there's been... me Swomey 9mm. Yeah, wasn't that you? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, even I run into trouble sometimes where it's like, you know, the gas block. It's pressed onto a torch-cut section of barrel, and it's like, well, nothing's straight here. How the hell do I press that off? Well, I have to kind of grind it square so the press ram will actually sit nicely on it and yeah give it hell with a 20 ton press and see if it'll pop loose and scare the shit out of everybody in the house see and (laughs) it's funny because you mentioned the 20 ton press and scaring everyone in the house is not even the level of difficulty but do you have all the tools to do the job and i ran into that when i was doing my ak build initially was i didn't have all the tools and then i started slowly trying to buy the tools Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. First it gets off, expensive real quick. Yeah, it does. I mean, a drill press alone. I mean, you want a decent drill press, too. You don't want the cheapest one on the market. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that alone is about 200 bucks. And I mean, you can get by. Like, if you're just, if it's more of a novelty thing, like, hey, let's see if I can build an AK with the tools on hand. Cool. That, that in and of itself serves a purpose as long as, you know, the end resulting firearm is safe and, you know, functions correctly. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you were going for. I mean, I wouldn't mind doing that like a uh, hand tools only, you know, no electric sort of build. That'd be kind of neat to do. Yeah, without, you know, fancy machine tools, mill, lathe, all that, that good stuff. Speaking of doing stuff by hand, one thing I've been wanting to do is like a... Uh, Pennsylvania long rifle, something like that, where it's like literally all hand tools doing it the correct way they would have done it, you know. See, that's another kind of parts kit I didn't even think about to include was those old, the the flintlock kits, which are pretty cool. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, you have people spending thousands of dollars on parts kits with a, uh, you know, like a semi-inlet stock blank and everything. And a lot of the stuff, it's like, hey, you get a raw brass casting trigger guard that you have to, you know, file and polish. You get springs, well, spring steel that isn't hardened or tempered, any of that stuff. So, like, it can get pretty involved, but you'll get the components necessary to build it. Yeah, see, a lot of those kits were cool. Like, actually, I have, I believe it's a Thompson Hawken 50 caliber, which actually I need to, I need to, we need to get together and uh, take a look at that one day because I think I need to mm-hmm. replace a screw on the on the sight leaf. But that was actually I my think I have two of them down in the shop right now. Oh, well, you know what? I'll have to bring that over one of the next times. But yeah. that was a, a kit my grandfather had actually built that he had actually hung up on the wall for years, like in 50 caliber. And that was cool. That was one of the old box kits. And literally, you know, exactly like you said, you know, you kind of polish up the brass yourself. You kind of put a, a stain and a finish onto the stock and mm-hmm. threw it all together. The beginner kits. Yeah, exactly. And that was basically, they give you all the instructions. And that was also, you know, I don't want to say that was from a time, uh, they, they started from a time where people were a little more resourceful than they are nowadays. But yeah, yeah. Let's they knew how to use a file and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, let's be honest there. They... They were a little more resourceful back then than nowadays. Yeah. But I think people in our field are generally a little more resourceful than the average person. And I'm not trying to call anyone out by saying that, but you just get what I'm saying in terms of tools and basic handiness. Yeah, and no, no, I, I agree. You know, I, I see some of the AR-15s that come in that people have assembled themselves, and it's like, mm, how hard were you going at that with a punch? Oh. <laughs> I see you missed a few times. Oh, yeah, I even look at some of my early stuff, too, where I just kind of rushed it, and, you know, I kind of went, ooh, you know, I'm going to use the, the dreaded the dreaded word, the Dremel. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you know, I mean, but you also grow, you know, you learn and you grow further with it. Like, I don't, I wouldn't dare touch a Dremel for most things anymore. But. Absolutely, and that that's one of the reasons why, like, surprisingly enough, if you look in my safe, some of my guns, I mean, <laughs> they're pretty bad, but it's like, Hey, that was my first one. That was my first Uzi build. That was my first AK build. And you can see like the learning process as it goes. So it's kind of like a, a cool little timeline of my skill, but I wouldn't get rid of any of those guns, even though I look at them and I'm like, God damn, what, what the hell was I doing? Yeah. But again, like you said, it shows your progress and Rome wasn't built in a day. I know I say that a lot, but mm-hmm. you know, it's true. It shows that, you know, whether you as an individual or as a gunsmith, you learn, you grow, you know, you learn a couple new skills, especially with like pressing rivets and stuff, like how not to overpress rivets. Yep. Getting everything lined up correctly for one. Yep. And lining up the front and, you know, populating the barrel, which, you know, again, you know, we talked about AKs in a certain, you know, century getting better over the years. Like, hey, if an individuals were doing it, why couldn't they do it on a mass, a mass scale? Yep. But that's just my thoughts. Mm-hmm. But then again, they introduced, you know, they were one of the big people who brought up, you know, the AK market at an affordable rate, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to give Century credit for making the AK what it is in the United States. I mean, as far as availability goes, that's where most people saw AKs on their local gun shop shelves. Especially you know? after the import bans and stuff. Yep. So I I really can't knock them other than, you know, when I have to work on them. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I mean again they did have their reputation for a while for a reason there were certain models that were just flat out awful 
Yep, absolutely. And that that's one of the reasons a lot of people get interested in doing project guns because they're like, well, I don't hear good things about this or that. And it's like, why don't I just try to make it myself? Exactly. One of the reasons I got into it, and my first one was a uh, an Uzi parts kit that I ended up getting. I think it was from like Numrich or something like that. You know, See, back when they were dirt cheap. Yeah, I wish I picked one up when they were dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heck, the bolt I think cost the bolt and the barrel were easily double, if not triple, the price of the parts kit. That was like where all the money went into. So, what parts did you need to get for for that kit? So for the Uzi parts kit, you had to get a U.S.-made receiver, which was stamped sheet metal, and it was bent, but it didn't have anything welded into it. So it's a little more, like, I would put that in, like, the the easy to moderate range. Somebody's starting out, I mean, like I said, it was my first parts kit build, and I did it with a MIG welder because that was the only welder we had at the time. And, mm. I mean, if you're cleaning up your welds and everything, it actually turned out pretty nice. You know, I actually ended up SBRing it. But you get the U.S.-made receiver that you have to weld all the stuff onto. You have to rivet the uh, sling swivel in. You have to get a U.S.-made barrel, which is in the semi-auto configuration. Because for Uzis, full-auto and semi-auto barrels are different. Because they make a little collar on the inside that it'll have a semi-auto barrel will have to slip <laughs> into to limit a full-auto barrel from actually being able to go into the gun. So they also have a full auto blocking bar that gets welded into it. So you also need a semi-auto bolt, which then converts it from open bolt to striker fire. So in that case, what did you did you convert the bolt yourself, or you said you bought the bolt? Nah, those those bolts, from what I understand, are pretty freaking hard. Like you really need like good machinery and carbide tooling if you wanted to convert it, mm-hmm. but. In my opinion, it's almost not worth it. Okay. As long as, like, who the heck was making them? I think it was, like, McKay Industries or something like that. Somebody was making mm. uh, decent semi-auto bolts, and I think they were, like, maybe 200 bucks, and you get the bolt, the springs, you know, both the striker spring, the recoil spring, the striker, or, like, all that for, like, the 230 bucks. So it really wasn't that bad. Whereas if you convert it, your bolt, Great, now you have to make all the other shit and find the, the springs that'll work for it. So, kind of have that going against you. Yeah, see, that's, and that's something else, too, is how much is going to be involved in terms of what you're going to actually have to purchase to get your parts get up and running. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll use the Swomi kit as an example. I thought that kit was going to be pretty much buy the receiver, buy a parts kit. <laughs> Cut and dry, man. Yeah, no, that kit was a lot more, especially since the company that makes all the parts wasn't selling all the parts. Yep. So that yeah, was a hunt. You'll run into that a lot. Yep. Especially nowadays with old forms and all that stuff and gun broker and I mean, you name it. Yeah. And I do have to put out a little uh, PSA here that, you know, just because you see some other asshole do it on the internet doesn't mean it's a great idea. Exactly. Again, the internet is full of wonderful and terrible ideas. Mm hmm. Kind of like this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like my life. Um, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, you can tell it's late. Yeah, but... <laughs> but with that being said, you know, different projects, I think, what would you 
you know, before we, I, I guess, dive into the next style of projects, um, what would you say, what would you recommend as like the first part kit build or like an entry level, good all around, like kind of covers your bases? Hmm. I mean, I guess it would, the, the first question I would have to ask is like, what is your uh, shop setup like? Like what kind of tooling do you have access to? What's your skill level? Because I mean, if it's like, hey man, I got some wrenches, I have a hammer, punch set, it's like, cool. Do a halfway decent AR build. And Never. I say halfway de- decent as in, like, good parts, but understand that you're still new to it, so, you know, I wouldn't go spending a shit ton of money <laughs> on, you know, high-tier stuff, and then you smack it with a hammer and break something, you know? Yeah, not so, a bit. A decent... Yeah, a decent AR build would be good for like somebody with minimal tools. If you're a little more machine savvy, I know a lot of people are uh, into machining. They have their own little shop setups, or they have access to it at work. Um, Sten guns are great. Uzis are great. Anything in that that realm, you know, sub guns. They're usually pretty simple. Yeah, see, I, that's that's what I was thinking along those lines with something like a sub gun. But to be honest, I. I really think an AK, I never understood why people said, like, in, in all the builders' forums, why an AK is a good starting point for a good parts kit build. And mm-hmm. after going through building the Hungarian one with you, I understand why. And it's the reason, at least what they say, is because it's it, it's a little bit t- more difficult of a build, but it gets you involved with demilling. It gets you involved with using a press. It gets you involved with, you know, putting the trigger in. It gets you involved with pressing the barrel. It gets you involved. It gets you involved with so many more different tools and aspects. So you kind of mm-hmm. learn a lot more for future projects. Yes, it's a little yeah. more on the difficult side. And yeah, you're going to need a lot more tools to do it. So not everyone can start there. But I think if, honestly, if someone has the tools and capability, that's a, not a bad place to start. Yeah, and it, it's really not, especially like if you have a little bit more skill under your belt and a little more, you know, equipment to work with. Mm-hmm. It, AKs really aren't that bad once you know what you're doing. Well, I shouldn't even say once you know what you're doing. Once you have a a good idea of what needs to be done. Yeah, because it's, I mean, hell, I mean, I did the one with you and then, I mean, I helped you with a couple others shortly after. It's very, yeah, the, it's not a difficult process. Yeah, and I mean it's, you know, it's they, a, it is, but it's it's not. It's it's a time. Cons- I don't know. It's it's weird. It's hard to describe. It is, and the, it it really depends on the parts kit. I mean, there's times where I've spent you know an hour and a half trying to get one fucking you have to milled. Yeah, you have to want to build an AK to build an AK. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. That's why, like, when because I I have a general gunsmithing gun making shop where I take AKs on because I like them. Not because it's more of a, you know, a money-making venture at that point. So what I'll do is I'll batch them. I'll do, you know, anywhere from like four to six AKs in a, a batch. That way it's like, hey, the tooling set up, I'm going to do the front trunnions on all of them. You know, that way it's more of a, a dedicated process Yep. rather than, you know, okay, what's next for today? Damn it, I have to build an AK. Well, get all the tooling out, get it set up. You know, you're basically a one man assembly line at that point. Yeah, and you're you're wasting time, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing is, if you take it all out just for one AK, it's really not worth it. Same yeah. thing with and that's why you or it, a lot of yeah. other projects. I mean, hell, that's especially why you've seen, 
Mm -hmm. That's why you see a lot of these places drying up, quite frankly. Like how many how many build services do you see? Like people actually building like brand guns and stuff like that. You know, because it, it's very hard to make money on it. Wait, there's a brand gun build service out there? There was. I think it was actually called Project Guns. Oh. They had little tutorials up on their website. I vaguely remember I don't know if they that. still do it. Yep. Yeah, because I, yep. I, I remember a few years ago, a while ago, there was, or you'll find this individual builder online who will do it, or a guy like Tyler. Yeah, but again, well, I probably won't do brand guns now. Yeah, no. Because like I said, it it's just, from a business point of view, it's too hard to make money on it. But yeah. like for me, I built a brand gun for myself and it was it was a neat experience. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of welding and machining and stuff like that in it. So I, I really enjoyed it. But when you're getting into a project gun, you have to realize like, is this really for the experience or for the outcome? Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of what you, I guess, have to figure out before you even get into the project is what your end result going to be or what your end goal is going to be from the project. Mm hmm. I mean, for me, like, a lot of my parts get built are for the experience. So, like, if it's one of those things like, oh, I have 20 minutes, I should get downstairs and work on that. It's like, no, because I want to enjoy it. I want to take, like, an entire weekend and work on this build. You know, so the experience is really what I get out of it. See, for, for me, what parts gets is a little bit of both the experience and more, uh, I want that gun. And I know yeah, just, yeah. There's, there's, there's just so many on the market that I'm just not, I know mine and Tyler's will be better. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. So, yeah. But I guess after parts kits, you know, our next projects, I guess, I guess our final project guns, I guess we talk about, we like refinishing projects or like restoration projects. Mm -hmm. I think we can kind of lump those into one kind of category. We might even do a whole episode on refinishing versus restoration and what I feel like the technical definitions are because it to me it's completely different okay you know if you're trying to refinish a gun for me you're trying to make it better than it ever was okay if you're trying to restore a gun you know if the factory polished it only to 320 grit you polish it to 320 grit yeah you know yeah. what I mean you're trying to make it authentic top yeah no that's that that's true that makes more sense because like We'll use, like, the refinishing, like, so recently, uh, you and I, you helped me out with the, I refinished that Makarov that you helped me out mm. with, and that was a really cool project, because this Makarov was, this was in need of some love. It was a commercial Makarov, so don't worry, there was no harm done in the, you know, And that's, hold on, let me, let me interject in that. That's mm -hmm. another thing. It, when it comes to project guns, do no harm. Yeah. You know, if something's highly sought after, collectible... Even if it's in like fair to good shape, it might be worth leaving it alone. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes like restoring. You know, I would always get two, three, maybe even four opinions before committing to refinishing something that might be of value. And I think you would agree that that Makarov. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, make a good paperweight. And yeah, so kind of an ugly one, but so but and it actually was the cover art for one of our previous episodes. That was actually an episode. Was it? Yeah, for checklist for buying a gun, I actually believe that was the gun in the corner. You know what? You're right. It was. Yeah, so a little bit of a uh, little bit of a Easter egg, I guess, if you will. <laughs> and that that I'm really happy with how that came out. That gun, that was such a fun project gun because we literally we stripped that gun down completely. 
basically filed everything down, you know, got it nice and clean. This got thing the was pits out of oh oh yeah the pits most thing, of the pits yeah most of it and most of the scratches. There was a couple that you just really couldn't get out. And I mean, this mm-hmm. thing was this thing needed some love. This had a lot of scratches on it. It was it was pretty much down to the bare metal. Uh, so stripped that all down. We ended up rebluing it, which that was really fun because we reblued a bunch of stuff that day too. Mm-hmm. That was over the summer. Yeah, so we we reblued that. Then the only thing was with that gun was reassembling the rear sight because those commercial ones have that weird, funky kind of adjustable rear sight. It it wasn't sitting right, and the screws were not lining back up in place. So I ended up just ordering that aftermarket rear fix sight. And then I bought a $10 pair, not $10, it was like a $10 or $20 pair of just Makarov grips. And it that thing looks nice and it shoots great. And I'll tell you, that was worth every dollar and every bit of the project. Yeah, and you got the experience. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. before that, have you ever polished a gun up for bluing? Nope. You know? Well, so this tried, was one of those things. But no. <laughs> you tried. But yeah, this was one of those things where it's like, Hey, it gets me some good experience. It's a relatively simple job. You know, the um, risk versus reward benefit definitely is in your favor. So it's like, hey, even if I don't do a great job on it, it's probably still better than it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely, With especially with that gun. And that, that's such a fun shooter. I absolutely love shooting. I absolutely love shooting that gun. I mean, I know you only test-fired it. You, te- mm-hmm. you know, test-fired it the one time, but... It's it's a lot of fun. Do you you don't have any other nine by eighteen Mac guns, do you? No, I don't. Oh, we gotta get you out there with that. That's that's a lot of fun. The nine by eighteen Mac. I know it's you know, you know... what gun I really liked. Hmm. Uh, I did a test fire. I forget what the heck I did on it, but it was a Tokarev. Oh, dude, what to- are those the seven six two Tokarev? Yeah, seven six two Tokarev. Man, that's a spicy little dude, bastard. Those are you know anyone who's listening to this. If you like surplus guns, which I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you probably do. Surplus guns, go get yourself a Tokarev. I don't care if it's a Yugo, Russian, Romanian. I have a Romanian. My buddy has, I think, a, my buddy has a Yugo or two. I, You know, they're just, they're fantastic guns. They're very affordable right now. They're under 500 bucks. Uh, the ammo, the ammo can be a little bit pricey here and there, but you can typically find it for about 20 to $30 a box. I'd say more 25 to 30 you know, given okay. the post-pandemic world. But if they're in 7.62 Tokrev, you can also chamber to 7.63 Mauser in there. Really? Yep, you can get away with it. Uh, Ian from Forgotten Weapons, uh, he actually posted, like, I remember he was talking about it a while ago, and then he actually ran okay. a match with it the one time, and I was like, oh, you know, that's awesome. So during the huh. pandemic, I had actually picked up a couple boxes of 7.63 Mauser because I was able to find 7.63 Mauser for cheaper than I can get 7.62 Tokarev. Yep. But now for me, that 7.62 Tokarev is really what makes it. Like I said, I test fired it. Oh, yeah. Being a gunsmith, you know, you're kind of jaded to test fires. It's, it's just part of the job. But, you know, once I squeezed off those first two, I'm like, ooh, I kind of like this. Well, yeah, it's it's a nice, it's a comfortable pistol, too. It looks like it wouldn't be comfortable, but it's basically like a... Yeah, it's it's it surprises you. It really does. And it's a potent round, but it doesn't have a lot of recoil. Yeah. I mean, I've... I'll be honest, I've shot Glocks that I liked a lot less. Exactly. So, and most people I know who own Tokarev say they really enjoy shooting them. Mm-hmm. Which oh, I believe... Granted, I wouldn't carry one, but... No. I mean, you could not if here you nor there. To. You which, could if you needed to, but... 
Which actually, speaking of Project Guns, the Tokarev I have was imported with one of those weird, funky aftermarket safeties on the left side of the pistol. Mm-hmm. And and it just looks atrocious. And I it never used to bother me, but now that I am who I am now, I guess, <laughs> um, it bothers me. Yeah. So, so what I was thinking is we're actually going to have to remove that aftermarket safety. And I've heard of other people doing that. And basically what they did was they just welded over that safety hole. Okay. That, that really shouldn't be a, a big deal. No, I, I, I mean, I'll show it to you. I'll have to send you a picture of it later, but it seems like mm. pretty easy, but a lot of people have done it, I guess. And then you have the more true authentic look to the Tokarev in its original form. Yeah. The only thing with welding up holes and bluing, sometimes you, you do get a little discoloration because the heat changes the, the steel. So oh, it doesn't true. take color exactly the same. Yeah. Sometimes you can get away with it. It'll it'll match pretty damn close and other times you, you'll notice it. Gotcha. This is this is a piece of comblock steel. So mm-hmm. I mean you know. Eh. Keep <laughs> the heat low, see what you can do. Yeah. So I think that'll be a cool, but again, another project, but that gun was not something I bought as a project gun, but more something I will be turning into a project, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing I've really wanted to get into is like a, like a good project revolver gun. I know, uh, uh, who the heck was it? Might've been J and G sales had, uh, re- Smith and Wesson revolvers, like ex police revolvers that they import it, but. I think whatever country they were coming out of, they couldn't get shipped with the barrel. So it's the entire gun minus the barrel. Hmm. That's so, weird. I, I yeah. Think that, I think somebody that... like, yeah, a machinist that can get a barrel, you know, if it needs to be fit up, you know, timed correctly, can handle something like that. That might not be a bad project either. No, that's not something bad for something, someone like you. I mean, that's not something, mm-hmm. I mean, I would take on if I didn't have access to that stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes it might clock up pretty close where you can get away with, like, filing the front of the frame just so it sits back. Like, I mean, if you're off, like, a degree, you know, something like that where you can just kind of file the frame and it'll tweak in, yeah, you can do that without any sort of machine tools. But you also do need a pistol, barrel vise, and the action wrench. So right there you're talking maybe a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, so you're talking talking quite a little bit. Not not an AR15, you know, kitchen counter build. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you you could kind of throw revolvers into that moderate to maybe even more advanced where like I would put precision rifles, 1911s, you know, anything that has to be like something that has a lot of like fit parts. Yeah, a lot of hand fitting, or not necessarily hand fitting, but a lot of fitting. Yeah, I guess hand fitting if it's a project gun. Yeah, you know, hand fitting. Yeah, and I mean, even if you're on a a manual lathe and a manual mill, I would consider that hand fit because you're turning doing, things by hand. Yeah, you're <laughs> doing it yourself. That's exactly what I was getting at, which is kind of funny. We're thinking along the same lines there. Yeah, because I mean, like 1911s. I mean, you could just about fit everything on that. You know, slide to frame, uh, barrel into the. Uh, slide. You could do the front barrel bushing to your barrel. I mean, you name it. You could basically fit it. Oh, you know, another thing to note with with project guns is if you see mm-hmm. something that's been sitting on the shelf at a store for maybe a couple of years, and you're wondering, you know, maybe that maybe that's a good idea for a project. Before you buy it, maybe there's a reason why it's been sitting on the shelf for a couple of years. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I know I, me and my buddies used to wander into gun shops and be like, all right, what do you have for 50 bucks? Yeah, exactly. Then, then you'll usually get some old, like, single action shot or single single shot shotguns, you know, the break action style or something like that, which are decent project guns because nobody wants them. <laughs> They're $50. And, I mean, parts are very readily available because you can just about buy an entire gun and take what you need. Yeah, so something like that. Super easy to throw together, but, and you know what you're getting into for 50 bucks. It's not like you're buying, let's say, a, oh, a Luger frame or something like that, or <laughs> I, I don't know, um. Or a thousand dollar Matty AK parts kit. Oh yeah, something, you know, so, something where you might be taking a little bit of a risk on if it's been at the shop for a while. I think you're, you're safer with a Matty parts kit than you would be with like a Luger frame. And the reason yeah, I. You're still spending a thousand dollars just on the kit. You are, that's true. But with the Luger frame, there's so much more fitting involved with Lugers than there is with... Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you could buy... Let's say someone says a Luger parts kit and they show you all the parts, unless it's all matching and they have the all matching frame and everything. Yeah, forget it. it yeah, it's not worth your time, trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that's one thing a lot of people don't realize is just how much old guns were hand-fit. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays we have CNC, which, yes, can hold tight tolerances, but there's a completely different level when you get into, like, hand-fitting. Yeah, that's the and there's also a different art that was behind that back in the day, too. Mm-hmm. That, I think, yeah, is a little and, bit lost nowadays. Oh, it is, because a lot of the people that were doing it, you know, they, they got into their ways of, you know, hand-fitting stuff, and... You could explain it to somebody all you want, but until they've done it for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years as their job, yeah, they're not going to be as good at it. And by that time, the the industry has moved on and we're not hand-fitting as much anymore, so they're not getting the experiences. Case in point, Colt revolvers. Yep. Yeah, and it's one of the things you see their advertisements. It's like all C&C. It's like, mm, is that a great thing? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, might not be. Only time will tell. But. Yeah, I mean, some companies are even using like wire EDM hmm. to cut stuff out, which if you've never seen that before, definitely look up a video of that. Hmm. The way it was explained to me, think of it as like reverse welding. Hmm. Yeah. So instead of adding EDM. metal, you're Removing. taking it away. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of like laser engraving. Think of it maybe along those lines. Hmm. Gotcha. But yeah, look up wire EDM. I'll have to check that out. So as we wrap up for this week, Tyler, you know, what's what's your next big project gun that you have that you wanna you wanna finish up? Oh I I kinda have two. I have that uh V Z fifty eight. Okay. That I honestly would like to build it as an SBR because the V Z fifty eight is an originally is originally a fifteen and a half inch barrel, which in the US sixteen is our minimum requirements. So it's like, do I really want to spend two hundred dollars just so it's a half inch shorter. But for me, it's like, all right, that's $200. I've spent more on a lot stupider stuff. $200 for half an inch. $200 for half an inch, exactly. But for me as a gunsmith, it's like, I want it correct. Yeah, you want it to be as true as possible. Exactly. So that's one of the things um, I'm kind of waiting on Mm -hmm. because... once I get my uh, NFA truss set up with my suppressor that I'm working on, then I'll probably add it to that truss. Then you'll tie it. But, uh, yeah, it, that's one of those things I'm uh, 
debating on doing. But then uh, the next one would probably be the AK-74 that I'm working on. Well, okay. Both both AK-74s. Both AK-74s, so three projects actually for you. Uh, yeah, I guess three. <laughs> see, my, see uh, you know, I'm going to lump my three kind of into a very similar category because I have an AK okay. on there. The Yugo, the M72V1, which the receiver mm-hmm. was ordered and should be getting to your uh, to your business very soon, hopefully. Nice. Then I have a check gun as well, the VZ61, which I which think- I cannot wait for that. Ooh, I am so excited. I really hope when I get to work tomorrow or within the next couple of days that the receiver is there. And mm-hmm. when it is there, I will be so excited. I think so, I have a torch cut one floating around in the basement somewhere. I actually do. Well, you know, we're, we're, I'm not going to use the, that torch cut, so maybe we can. We'll talk about that later. And then the last one yeah. is going to be the project I've had the longest, which is the DP27 28, depending yes. on your nomenclature. So that'll be yeah. up and running. Isn't, isn't technically 27 correct? I believe 27 is technically correct. And then for somehow or other, 28 stuck into Western nomenclature. Yeah, 28 like the widely accepted <laughs> name. But 27. But yeah, technically DP27. Yeah, so and original Russian, correct? It, da, ah, yeah. So I, I, I can't wait for all of them, honestly. Yeah, so we're gonna be posting pictures of those, of course, as we, mm. as we get those. And you know what? That'll be actually. Where can they find those pictures? That where would they be able to? Uh, where will they be able to find where you post that, Tyler? So you can find the stuff that I post on Instagram, Facebook at Precision Rifle Works. And if you need to get a hold of me, if you want me to build any of your project guns, you can reach me at www.precisionrifleworks.com. All right. And then uh, you can go follow me over at SitePicture762 on Instagram. You can follow the page and all our good stuff uh, at mm-hmm. Across the Gun Counter on Instagram. And you can also follow us on Across the Gun... Well, you know, check out the website, AcrossTheGunCounter.com, where I swear I'm going to post more with the blog soon. And yeah, we're have, we got to yeah. post more pictures on Instagram too. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we, to be honest, the holidays have been kind of crazy. You know, we kind of had a couple technical, you know, issues in recording a few things, and yep, yep. So it's been it's been a crazy few. It's weeks. been a mess. <laughs> it's it's been a mess, and I, I swear, I yeah, it's not gonna. We'll be get a mess. it together one of these days. one of, one of these days. I'm gonna stop being a mess. So until next <laughs> time, guys, take care, stay safe. Yep. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>